Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second spooky episode of 2023. I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and of course, Lola is joining us for this wonderful time that we go over Alien. I'm so excited to be here again with you all. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. Well, as we teased in our Creature from the Black Lagoon episode that came out, I a couple weeks ago, a week ago, I don't know what is time. Uh, our theme this year has been monsters, so Alien is our second entry for this year. Alien is a 1979 sci-fi horror film directed by Ridley Scott, written by David O'Bannon, and starring Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafit Koto. Uh, we would know Ian Holm from Ian Bailey. Do you know what movie we've covered in our canon episodes? Oh, what did we cover? I remember his name. What, he, he wasn't an English patient, was he? No. Yeah, I'm not going to remember this. Let me look up his... Uh, oh, Cherry, Cherry, it's a fire. That's he played right. the coach in that movie, which I believe was the only performance we liked in that movie. So I think this just goes on to further support that the script for Chariots of Fire is terrible because he is fantastic in Alien. <laughs> I mean, I still maintain that the concept for Chariots of Fire is bunk, but that's just me. Also agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also John Hurt was in A Man for All Seasons in a more minor part. That movie is a blur. I know you loved it. I not not a fan. I enjoyed it, but I I would say it is not one I remember as as well as others. So we're pretty much we're pretty much setting up for 50-50 if you guys like this movie or not based off of all the previous people that were in it. Um I mean, I think Ian and I it's both safe to say that we both really like this oh, movie. Oh yeah. Remember Was this the first time you'd seen it, Ian? It was. Now, I, I had seen, I want to say Prometheus, um, which was one of the like sequels that came about out in the early like 20 teens. Um, so I, I on a, like a very light level, am aware culturally of Alien. But I will tell you one, the Ian Holm reveal was lost on me, uh, not lost on me, but rather was a surprise because I had managed to avoid spoilers somehow. Apparently, I live under a rock. And then the uh, like chest break open jump out scene. I don't know a better way to put that. The chest uh, burster scene. That's literally what it's yeah. called. It has a name. <laughs> See, there you go. I don't know anything. I live under so a rock. It's fine. You we're not aware of the chest burster. Um, I'm, I was like vaguely aware and it was not subtle when they had this like ancient alien with a giant gash in its torso, like leading up to it. So yeah, anyway, it's, well, I love that because I love when we get to cover movies that like me and like our guest, like Lola has seen before and we really love and we can kind of come at it from a, does this hold up to like repeat viewing especially for something that is more in the horror genre because i think a lot of like the you know appeal of the horror genre is like did it surprise you i love when ian hasn't seen it and gets to come in and be like here's what it was like as a first time viewer and like did the surprises actually land they did just honestly just as well as six cents so i the fact that you avoided the six cents spoiler to this day is mind-blowing to me, but I love it. 
Um, the alien itself was designed by H.R. Geiger, uh, who worked on design for all of the alien films. Very iconic design. Uh, he was an artist who was like known for like kind of weird and disturbing work who was brought in for this. And honestly, it fits. And the alien is one of the most iconic and terrifying movie monsters ever. This actually had mixed reviews on release. It has, of course, since become recognized as like one of the great sci-fi and horror films of its time. Uh, But it was a box office success. And like many classic monster films that spawned many sequels, Ian already mentioned Prometheus from 2012. But Aliens, the second one, came out in 1986. I still haven't seen it. I might watch it tonight. I really want to. Um, Alien 3 in 92, Alien Resurrection in 97, Alien vs. Predator in 2004, which weirdly was a movie that I really liked. Can't explain why, but I did. Um, Alien vs. Predator Requiem in 2007, which I did go to see in theaters and then had to leave after a few minutes because I was very, very sick. Oh, I thought you were going to say scared. And I was like, no, nope. I thought you loved this franchise. No, I was ill. Like, oh. I was very ill. Ill. It turns oh. out. Did a face hugger get to you? Uh, no, food poisoning. That's uh, almost worse. I thought you were <laughs> ill because of the movie, but no. No, I just poisoning. got food poisoning and had to leave like after like five minutes of it and then was like, the sickest I have ever been in my life and like vomiting for like 24 hours. So anyway, that's what I, what memory I attached to alien versus predator requiem. Um, and then of course, Prometheus in 2012, alien covenant in 2017. And they are actually working on a new movie at 20th century studios. It is in development. It has been announced. So I'm not telling anybody trade secrets. But I was about to be like, do we need to cut this? Yeah, I know. But yeah, nope. okay. Uh, yeah, they're they're doing another one, so I'm sure it'll be wildly successful. LOL, probably not. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, probably will do pretty well at the box office. We'll see where it ends up critically. I don't know. I'm, we'll curi- see. I'm curious how they're gonna they're gonna go with it. I feel like Ridley Scott has been very busy with Napoleon. So if Napoleon ends up being very good, then maybe this will too. But we'll see. Um, so O'Bannon drew inspiration. He was the one who wrote the script. He drew inspiration from the thing from another world from 1951, which I think we mentioned in the creatures of the black lagoon episode around like the sci-fi horror genre. Um, he drew inspiration from forbidden planet from 56. So a lot of that stuff coming from the early to mid fifties with like that first, maybe not first, but like one of the earlier like waves of sci-fi, uh, Planet of the Vampires from 1965, which is a film I am now very curious about based on title alone. Um, and this was often pitched as Jaws in Space. Originally, 20th Century Fox was not confident in the script when it was first pitched because at the time sci-fi was considered to kind of be dead until the success of what movie in 1977? Star Wars? Wars? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I was like, uh. <laughs> I don't know what year Star Wars came out. <laughs> it sounds like a trick question, but it's really low hanging fruit. Yeah. Star Wars kind of revives the sci fi genre. Um, so you have the success of Star Wars in 1977, which, of course, you can tell they pull a lot of inspiration from design wise um, in that kind of worn sci fi. Like everything's not sparkly and shiny and new. Like it looks like it's been used. Um, and is has like a little bit of grime to it. 
Um, and then also production drew inspiration from 2001, a safe, a space odyssey from 1968 as part of the visual inspiration. Also a film that I haven't seen, but have enough, have seen enough like stills from to see that, especially with mother and that whole room there mm-hmm. and the like, mother is very how it was so how <laughs> I did not like that. They called the computer mother. It was a little too really bothered me too. It was very creepy though. She doesn't end up being like the villain, which I do think is interesting. Um, and then on the horror side, they also took inspiration from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I c- can see that. Haven't seen that either, but I zero plans to watch it ever. I don't know. You know, the like, t- t- uh, I think we mentioned it when we were recording Creature about that commercial where the teens go and hide behind the wall of chainsaws, which mm-hmm. of course is a parody. But the the one scene of... Uh, the one scientist chasing the cat and getting into the kind of rain room, which why is it raining on the ship? I have questions. I also have that note. Save this for the actual movie. That that part. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of HR Geiger's design, uh, Veronica Cartwright described his set as so erotic. It's big vaginas and penises. The whole thing is like you're going in some, inside some sort of womb or whatever it's sort of visceral <laughs> yeah i think i was reading up that like people have done a lot of like reading into or like freudian analysis of like the production design and stuff and like hr geiger okay but a cursory google search of hr geiger's work is very sensual i don't like <laughs> I- <laughs> okay well <laughs> no 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 it's a question mark because it's also like this weird, creepy, creepy. Yes, but also like mechanical. Like it's a it's a weird mix. So anyway, am I scaroused? <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Let me let me be clear. <laughs> so with only seven human actors in the movie, Ridley Scott really did seek out like strong actors who he wasn't going to have to direct all that much and could kind of like just trust because he really wanted to focus on like production design and everything with that because it is so intricate and detailed and weird as we have discussed also and I thought this was really interesting so in the first draft of the original script early on a lot of the characters were written kind of broadly and generically they weren't like super detailed it was kind of more of like this is the base personality and kind of like this character's function in the story but there was Explicitly a note that stated the crew is unisex and all parts are interchangeable for men or women. So it really like opened up casting possibilities in kind of a cool way. And then as they started casting people and like developing the script further, they kind of like honed in on like the characters and what more of their personality or backstory would be and kind of like let the actors bring a little bit more to it. And then Scott eventually, once everyone was cast, wrote like several pages of backstory for everybody so that they had like something to kind of work off and be like, this is where your character's coming from. But I love that. And I wish more films would well, do that. Well, it's like, it's horror for everyone. <laughs> like, it's. I'm not saying that the, the characters as executed are a monolith by any means. Like, I, they, they definitely did a good job of, of giving each one a distinct kind of personality and apparently backstory, it sounds like. So, um, but the fact that you can still execute a film like this and have it be in, in such a kind of general 
way is really fun. Yeah. And that was the first draft. So definitely they did like evolve it more. But I, I like them kind of going into that being like, here's the story we're trying to tell. Here are the characters, how you want to cast them and their gender doesn't really matter. Like, you know, open it up and see like who's giving you the most interesting thing to work off of. Also, the cast is generally a bit older than you usually see in like thrillers and horror movies, which I think is interesting. Like the characters in the cast are. Um, and uh, initially Ripley was supposed to die in the end. But the uh, execs didn't like that. And they were like, no, it's not good that way. And so it got changed. And honestly, I agree. It's way better to have her survive. Yeah. But it's signing off like the line of her, like as she's going back into cry. So well, iconic. And I think, I mean, in horror movies, it's very iconic to have a final girl. So it would sort of fall out of that whole ploy to not have a final girl. Well, originally, actually, when they were casting, they intended to cast Ripley as a man to avoid the final girl trope, but then ended up really liking Sigourney Weaver and being like, well, <laughs> yeah, because she's flawless. Like <laughs> She's absolutely fantastic. Um, last few things I will say before we jump into watch notes. So um, score was done by Jerry Goldsmith who uh, has done a ton of great stuff. He did a lot of sci-fi, including the original, or four of the uh, Star Trek films. I actually don't know if it's the original four. Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run. Uh, he also did Poltergeist for horror. Uh, we would know him on the podcast from having done Patton, the score for Patton, which is great. He also did The Mummy, the 1999 The Mummy score, which is phenomenal. And and this is the one that's like just sticks out to me the most, is like great, but also just seems out of nowhere. He also did Mulan. Okay. I just love how chaotic this uh, discography is. It's great. It's like very chaotic, but all good. (laughs) Well, and I think this, uh, the music and the sound design of this movie is one of the most important things that takes it from being, well, this is really slow and kind of boring to being very tension building and the entire movie relies on that music. So yeah, there's like the little trill that kind of like lingers at the back of your skull yeah i think most of the notes are hate this sound hate this noise hate this i will say i love when there's a sting like that because as a scaredy cat it preps me to look away (laughs) if need be um and then the last bit of background we'll dive into uh watch notes so um actually last two points so they actually didn't use a lot of blue screen they use a lot of matte paintings to like extend the corridors and everything which I know we're pretty big fans of. I love that Um, art director was Roger Christian, who also did Star Wars. And I think left like after this one, when did Empire Strikes Back? Um, And it was nominated for two Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Uh, did not win, unfortunately, but it did win for Best Visual Effects. Totally deserved. So watch notes. Speaking of amazing sound. The establishing shots are such a vibe, and the sound is a huge part of it. Can we also talk about the early shot on the emergency helmet? Oh. Yeah, like a little creepy. Very creepy. And like also, like, I feel like there is a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. Not all of it's subtle, but I'll be honest, like, I don't I don't mind if it's unsubtle. Uh, but yeah, that emergency helmet shot, I was like, man, already you're like, things will go bad. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, the the choice in 
making the ship such a huge thing really contributes to this overall sense of foreboding. Cause like you have seven people on this gigantic ship that we're seeing fractions of. So it, we're already starting with the vast unknowable expanse of this like industrial tug flying through space. So it's, it's a very deliberate choice to put you on that unsteady footing to start. But it's also like a very isolated, contained environment, right? Like you were you were literally in the most isolated, can't get out type of place you could ever be in. You were on a ship floating in the middle of space. If shit goes wrong, like, sorry. I mean, the tagline of the movie was in space. No one can hear you scream. And I think that kind of sets it up perfectly with the oh yeah sets, uh, the scenes, I guess, not the sets, but that scene saying, okay, here's this big expanse of space. You're on this giant ship, but it still really isn't anything in relative of the size of the universe. Yeah. And then of course we have uh, the ship kind of alerting that like something has been found. We have the shot of uh, the seven sleep pods uh, opening. Is it six or seven? I think it's. I want to see the crew seven, seven, right? Yeah. It's seven. Yeah, because I actually did check. I went back and checked that shot because the way it's it's face on. You checked it for Ian Holm. Very clearly. I checked for Ian Holm because you can very clearly see three of them go up and I was or six of them go up three on either side. And I checked to see if you could see a seventh one pop up in the back like the uh, casing pop up, which you can. But I checked because after the Android reveal, I was like, were there only six pods in that shot? Uh, there weren't. There were seven. But I did question. So suspicious. I guess the robot never had to sleep. He just was there for fun. <laughs> just lying there. I guess like in sleep mode. Yeah, he was on hibernate. How do robots perceive time? Like, I don't know. <laughs> was he dreaming of electric sheep? I mean, geez, guys, spoiler alert. Blade Runner's just actually Ash's dream. Wow. <laughs> That's the program he's running as he waits for the Nostromo to wake him up. But also with that like sleep pod scene, it, it's really cool to see the contrasts between the really heavy, dark, industrial foreboding parts and this kind of more sleek, futuristic, I, I, dare I say, like welcoming side of the ship. Like it, 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 it's again, heightening how terrifying those corridors are. I saw no part of the ship being fluffy, nice, welcoming space, but sure. Comparatively, though. <laughs> I felt like even in the set, the pieces, the nice and shiny rooms did look like they were under some sort of neglect or just repair uh, on part of probably the company, I assume. Like, it was definitely grungy. I, I had a note that it was a lot like our favorite game, Deep Rock Galactic. <laughs> 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 and that it's nice that it seems like, you know, nothing really works or it looks nice, but it's just like a facade. Well, it's like, you know, these are pretty much like they're mostly blue collar workers. Like they are here to do a job on this mining rig. Like it's you do get the sense that like this technology is not the most up to date. And it also sets the stage for it being very clear that the alien is not the villain. The corporation is the villain. <laughs> I would say in the first movie, it is 
Yes, the corporation is the villain, but they're kind of in the background. The more like immediate villain is the alien. I believe as the series goes on, you get more and more of the corporation and like the nefarious workings of the corporation. Actually, one of the notes I have in here is because in this movie, the corporation's never named. It's just referred to as the company. And there's pretty much no lore dropping. Like it's very little breadcrumbs and it's only exactly what we need. There's a throwaway line where they're like, oh, maybe it's for the company's weapon division. I don't know. And you're like, what the fuck is this company? Like, Oh, I love it. It's like aperture science. It's just like this uh, conglomerate that is doing weird shit. <laughs> yeah. So capitalism is the always villain. Always the villain. <laughs> always. You can always trace it back. Um, I do want to talk too about kind of our first little bits with the crew. We're already getting like a little bit of interpersonal like relationships, a little bit of interpersonal tension too within the crew because this movie is such a, such a slow build, which I much prefer in a thriller or a horror having those like interpersonal tensions too, I think are very important to like keeping the film moving and keeping you invested. Yeah. And the tension from like, the rungs of blue collar versus the scientists, like the mechanics, of course. Now, are, are they playing into a stereotype from like the 70s by casting, you know, a black man in some of those roles? Of course. Um, but it, it still gives you these kind of lower stakes things to latch on to as we get the larger stakes being built. Yeah. And it's building our hierarchy too, like within the ship um, that we're going to watch breakdown. So they have arrived at this alien planet. There's the weird, it's not their destination. It's the weird signal. They've got to go investigate. We get our first hint that Ash is not an android. Ian, how did you feel about the Ash running super fast scene? I'm going to be. He does like a super fast little jog. Completely honest. I missed that signal completely. Yeah, me too. There is a shot when they're prepping to see like who's going down and everything like or and they're like adjusting to not being in the pod anymore. Ash does like a little jog and it's like sped up to be like not humanly quick. Hmm. I just thought he was a fast runner. <laughs> I was just like he's he was a sprinter in high school. It's fine. He he wasn't he chariots, wasn't chariots of, fire. of fire. It's <laughs> like a really sped up version of do 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 but uh, again i want to the the sound design here as they leave the ship on this howling maw of a planet like the lighting them going out of the airlock being backlit or i I think yeah they're backlit it just it is such a mood and it is so terrifying like in this humans are a teeny tiny speck in the universe sort of way like mm-hmm. it's such a good sci-fi like it's anyway sorry i'm so for some of that of like them in front of the ship uh scott and i think it it might have been the art directors, like Scott's sons and one of the art directors, like young sons, they put them in the spacesuits and had them in front of the like mm. models so that it would they would like the people would look even smaller in comparison because uh, they were like, it doesn't look quite like vast enough. So they put their kids in there. Let's talk about this freaky alien ship. So first off, I do love the fact that like as opposed to the Nostromo, our hero ship, it is much more organic than mechanical 
which is already super weird and terrifying. It's also built for like colossal aliens, which you mentioned earlier, like the pilot in this alien spacecraft who's like huge, clearly something burst from its chest. I had forgotten that they were giant. It's scary to see that. And the fact that the crew who had to go in there is just kind of casually like, oh, yeah, we'll still explore. What? Oh, I have a note that's like people like to give Lambert crap, but she was right. They should have left. But also like leading up to this, the way that they well, leading up to and during this, the way they keep cutting back to kind of the calm work on the ship, especially Ripley trying to decode this message, which, okay. She's staring at a screen of ones and zeros. No. She no, speaks binary. <laughs> Ash could do it. But he don't want to give up the ghost yet that he's an android. I will say early on, and I assume, Ian, this was what you thought. It, there is a question. It's like, is is Ash up to something or is he just an asshole? And see, I definitely thought he was just an asshole. And fine. Which uh, they, they pulled the wool over my eyes. So, like, I'll, uh, again, it... There are probably people who are more astute than me that would have seen it. But again, I mean, totally, yes. totally blindsided. There are people more astute than you, Ian. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I appreciate your vote of confidence in my ability to be observant. Um, <laughs> at, at your core, you are still a man. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm not inherently suspicious of Ash because he's a man. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Oh, I will say I do think that maybe they should have decoded the message before going on. To- it's, you know, you got to set up some dramatic irony somehow. Yeah. And some some good editing, because uh, shockingly, it was a warning. And we know that. But of course, the captain doesn't know that as he's descending further into this creepy ass ship down to the egg room. No, well, we need to talk about Kane, who goes down to the egg room. First off, I have some notes that I'm like, Kane, why are you slipping, sliding around where there's like weird eggs everywhere? Like, wait, wait isn't Kane the captain? Or did I? No, Kane's oh. not the captain. Dallas is the captain. Oops, never mind. <laughs> Kane is the executive officer. Yeah, and you know, for a movie that based titles very important into the plot and the tension of the story. Do you think it's important that you know who ranks where? Which is why Ripley, who's the third ranking officer, is technically in charge when they're all gone. Oh, yeah. That part made total sense. I just conflated Dallas and Kane. Um. (laughs) Uh, No, Kane Kane is, I would say, the least fleshed out character just because like we lose him for so so early and for like huge chunks of it. Um. But he does seem to have this innate sense of adventure and curiosity that shockingly not at all gets him killed. Can we talk about the set design in that egg room, though? Like the effects with the laser over the like mist and then even the designing of this egg prop. Like out of there. I don't look at that and say, oh, cool. Something's alive in there. And let me get my face near it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah, well, you can see, like, the shadow of, like, whatever's in there moving around. And then, of course, the egg, like, opens up. And what does Kane do? He leans in closer, the fool. And then we get the first, rah, with the face hugger. The jump scare got me. I'll <laughs> the say first that. first, rah. <laughs> rah. 
I also did just for listeners to know, I did like my hand toward my uh, webcam. Like, the are you filming in 3D? I was just about to make that joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ian, it's not Creature from the Black Lagoon. (laughs) A shocking, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this movie somehow had a 3D edit at some point, just solely because. They love making 3D horror movies more than anything. I think it just wasn't in style at the time. No, I don't think so. But it is funny. Um, I do like that. Like you get the face hugger. It hits Kane in the face and then we cut away like this movie isn't really gruesome in a lot of ways. I would agree. I think they tried to keep. Well, it's weird, though, because it's still got an R rating. So they could have definitely like upped it a bit more. But it is tactful with the gore and the gruesomeness I would say it doesn't do gore just to do gore agreed and like especially early on when there's still a lot of mystery around like what is happening and what these things are I think like showing less really is more because then when you immediately cut away we're all like well what happened to Kane like what was that thing we only got a brief glimpse of it um, and, you know, going back to the idea of like Jaws in space, also, again, as a scaredy cat and someone who doesn't like gore, I appreciate it. I appreciate the slow build with the lack of gore. It works for me. Also, because I had seen this before and I knew when the chest burster scene was, I was able to really enjoy the first part of the movie because I did. I knew I didn't have to be afraid. Well, and I will still say, I think we are hardwired to be more scared of the unknown than being showed blood on a screen. Like, I realize that because of different like cultural expectations, it might be shocking in some sense. But like not knowing, at least for me, is way scarier than seeing a chest burster. Oh, yeah. I could watch people get murdered all day. I mean, slasher films don't (laughs) affect me at all. But... I mean, I get it. I would eat dinner while watching Trauma Life in the AR when I was a kid. So, like, cool. You guys are monsters. Yeah, well, you picked sociopaths as your friend. So, <laughs> well, you picked us. Well, what does that say about me? Uh, I will say, like, heavy, heavy gore, especially if it, unless it's, like, you know, like, campy level, uh, generally, like, does bother me. But I do think, like, the fear of, like, what is it in the unknown is, like, very much ingrained in people. And I think sci-fi as a genre, especially is like very capable of pulling that in. I did love the fact that the egg chamber had lasers in it. And the, there's some weird note about how they were from the band who, who were like filming next door on the sound stage, like prepping for their stage show. And I was like, I just love the idea of like being on a studio. So they were like, can we borrow the Yeah, like popping over and be like, hey, so like we're like filming this thing and your lasers seem really cool. Can we like use them for our weird egg chamber? And just all the members of the Who just being like, the fuck? (laughs) Sure, Sure. That's pretty rock, but I'm a little concerned. Oh, that's beautiful. I assume their song, Who Are You, was inspired by the movie, because that's what we ask. The first half of the movie is, who are you? Who, 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 who? Uh, We get the shot of Lambert and Dallas uh, toting Kane back to the ship. He's got the face hugger on his helmet. Um, There's the very tense discussion between Dallas and Ripley about the, like, let us in versus like, no, the procedure is quarantine and Ripley being very like, right. 
being very right. <laughs> being very right. You know what? The lesson of this film is listen to women. Lambert was right when it was creepy and they should have left. Ripley was right when they should have quarantined or else they were all going to die. The moral of every horror movie is listen to the fucking woman most of the time. Listen to the woman and don't let her take her clothes off. That's pretty much the two. The listen two to the things. woman. Don't have fun of any kind because you'll immediately die. Stay in, stay in groups. We'll get to that one in a bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying Ripley was like pretty okay until she took off her clothes to get and to was leave. wearing the tiniest piece of underwear that I've ever seen. I, I was watching this with one of my friends and he and I complained about that. He goes, I'm okay with it. It's like, why? <laughs> Those are so ill-fitting. So it, it looks so uncomfortable. Yes. Like all I could think about was like, that would be so uncomfortable to wear. <laughs> Mamsie, you are on a spaceship. They don't fit well. Just wear your big old white granny panties. Like you're in space. Like you're you've slept for like 30 months. How how long were they in those pods? For like a very long time, it felt like. Put on your ugly. Maybe those underpants. were her waking her waking up undies. Like she got out of the pod, she got rid of the the granny panties and put on her like, these are my like my work undies. That are the most uncomfortable thing ever. Honestly, why weren't they naked in the stasis pod? Like, actually. They should have truly had catheters in, if we think about it. Like, I I had a note that I was, like, in the stasis pods. They have a concerning few amount of wires hooked up to them. Like, I was, like, more, there should have been, like, more tubes and shit for them to be alive. I have questions in general about how there's obviously crazy advances in technology for the stasis pod yet messages are still being written in binary and well that the binary was from another alien ship and maybe that's like the most like the common language of the universe that's true but then there's like other technology like the the gun that senses and all of that like all of that is very outdated so i don't understand how they can just get into a stasis pod I just maybe it's because that's the part of the ship the company upgraded because they were like, we have to have that upgraded to to keep legal off our backs. And the rest was the corners they could cut. Yeah, I don't. I believe that for some reason, this movie ever since I have watched Project Hail Mary or watched Red Project Hail Mary, although it's 100 percent going to be made into a movie or a TV show at some point, uh, my whole perspective on like stasis pods and like how you keep someone asleep is like very, I don't know, different because I think that book goes into like how it's such a specific science and you have to have the right this and da 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 to like maintain somebody's life in that way that they just plop them in a pretty shiny bed and that's it. No problems. Very, very aesthetic, not very practical in the stasis pod room. And that's okay, because we needed some aesthetics that were nice. Um, but yeah, so we we have Ash overrides Ridley to let them onto the ship. I was straight gooped and gagged. I was like, how dare this not ranking officer override Sigourney Weaver, gooped who knows what she's gagged. doing. <laughs> Can we discuss the terminology? He doesn't suspect a thing. He's just like, how dare he? Like, not follow I rank. clutched my figurative pearls. This you was gooped. unacceptable. You gooped and gagged. <laughs> Both? Anyway. A good old goop and gag. Wow. 
I just, I do love the infirmary and all of the scenes in there with like the fun little scanny machine and the fact that all of a sudden we have acidic blood that adds tension. Did it goop and gag you? (laughs) (laughs) And you said a thing that's never going to be let go of. I know. I hope you know that. It's fine. I don't care. I described my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Were they gooped and gagged? I'm so sorry. I agree. I, too, was gooped and gagged with the acid blood the first time I saw it. Because uh, that's spooky. And once again, back to Project Hail Mary, I did like the idea that the aliens thrive. Uh, like, their bodies are built different. The same thing with, like, the ship. It really shows that, like, as much as you think you know, you already don't know anything about this. Like, you don't know how it hunts. You don't know how it lives. You don't know what it eats. None of it. That it's just built completely different. Yeah. And can I just um, say I do think that the was when acid I was like, blood, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I do think the acid blood is actually a really ingenious thing from a plot perspective because it really limits their response choices, like v- severely limits them. Like, because you have the acid dripping through multiple layers of the ship, they're already worried it's going to eat through the hole. So it already means that, like, you have to be so careful how you kill the thing. Because if you make it bleed, it could destroy important parts of the ship that could still doom you. It, you know, the fact that like the way it's attached to Kane, like they can't really like kill it and remove it without most likely killing Kane. Like it really just limits their options about how they can deal with it. But see, that's okay because you know what I wrote at that exact moment was time to jettison Kane. (laughs) Listen. There are so many points. Yeah. There's there are many points that I'm like, leave them and run. Like, run. Think about how short this movie would be if at the very beginning they said, I'm a little concerned about this. Let's just leave. And they did. End credits. Like, roll yeah. the tape. Same thing with Think Jettison about Kate. Like, how short it would have been if they were like, you know what? Let's decode the message before we leave. Oh, wow. Great point. Just a thought. It's a short film at that point. It could have been made into a TikTok. <laughs> We should do a short film that's like alien if everyone was smart about it. Though I will say in general, with a couple glaring decisions, in general, I do think Ripley at least behaves very smartly throughout the film. She does want to enforce quarantine. It's just stupid Ash that doesn't follow it yeah, for reasons that at that time were unknown to Ian. Just Ian, though. Only Ian. Just me. It's okay. I, yeah. Now, I I do want to point out, too, that when they landed, their ship, like, landing pod was disabled. So we're still kind of in the part of the film where they're kind of just stuck on this planet for a minute. And I don't think, are they able to get, like, does the facehugger release before or after they take off to go back to the main ship? The facehugger is still on Kane when they get to the main ship. See, yes. I thought that was in the landing craft. Because why would they have a whole medical bay like in the landing craft and not on the main ship? Why wouldn't they? I'm just saying the company doesn't <laughs> seem to be spending that much money on things like that. Well, it's on it's on his helmet. So the facehugger, like I remember it released and it was like in this dark scene. Or was it, no, 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 no. They go in, um, 
Do they just check on him and it's gone? Because here are my notes. I'm pretty have, sure because it, it, it's when the infirmary is dark, right? Yes, because I have notes on the uh, acid. And then I have a note that says, where are your masks and why are you not armed when an alien life form in all caps, you know, likes to hug faces is on the loose. And then I just have a note that says, kill it, kill it, kill it. So I'm assuming that's the scene we're talking about. Yeah, because there was like this exchange with Ash and Ripley about what is it? He's like, I don't know, man. Like what? It's it's a thing. And and then they have this like big tension building scene in the dark infirmary where they're like searching around and prowling. And it like the dead thing falls out of the ceiling onto Ripley. So the they take off the face hugger. Because I know they flip it over and then they cut into it and that's when they realize it's acid. And then they just leave it there. Like, I don't think they do anything with it, which is why I think it kind of finds its way elsewhere. They they cut it while it was on his face. And then when they dissect it, it's because it released. But Kane has not come out of the coma yet. Yes, he's still in a coma. No, Kane's in the coma for a while. That's the important part. Kane's in a coma. And then, like, miraculously wakes up. And is hungry. Once again, maybe we should just consider jettisoning Kane. I I also have a question that's like, did they not x-ray him? They did, sort of. Remember that fun little, like, laser scanny tool where it showed the thing going, like, down inside him? Like... Oh, yeah, they did kind of x-ray him and go, that's right, fine. But my question is, but why didn't they x-ray any like anything lower? I thought they did. But like, I don't think they the did. Because how'd they miss there? The, how did they miss the chest burster? Maybe it didn't lay its egg yet. I'm assuming it's an egg or a larva. I'm, I, no, or... no, what I'm saying is when he mysteriously wakes up from his coma, <gasps> oh. I'm immediately like, sir, you sit right there. I will be running tests. Then you can eat. Okay, but also it was Ash who was like, okay, we're going to let this run its course. We're it's, I, I do have a note here that says the science officer is the worst. Um, well, and it's, it's little things that I actually really like where he was talking about, you need to come to the medical bay and saying, oh, well, his conditions have changed. And I'm like, you could have just said yes. Like there, the, just the way things are phrased to make him more insufferable. It's great. Yeah, it it does say it just says it later freely detaches and is found dead. That's it. That's what happened to the face hugger, which I guess. okay. so this is me being dumb. Face huggers in egg face hugger hits lays egg. That's all it does. It just lays an egg like that's that's the entire life cycle of a face hugger is to just lay an egg. I just say, remember when we talked about how you don't know why the organic life forms are spacefaring and amazing? Maybe this is an evolutionary advantage to the alien because they are, as Ash puts it, a perfect life form. I have questions about his definition of perfect. Also, maybe if the facehugger hadn't died, though, it like would have grown into a full alien. I don't know. I'm not. I'm a little hazy on the face hugger, chest burster, alien life cycle. I'm going to need one of those grade school style thing where they like describe how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Like I need that. How does a face alien. hugger become us? Yes. Very important to me because how does that become that? Maybe just the face hugger is the chrysalis. That's it. Oh, it makes I it like a beautiful that. butterfly. <laughs> I just love how quickly. Well, okay, so really fast, we move into the chest burster scene, no, which no, no. is 
Wonderful. That's the next scene. I want to talk the next about him scene. eating. I guess that is all the chestburster suit. It's the same scene. And okay. they're like so happy that he is alive and otherwise unharmed. Everyone's really, everyone's really happy, but there's not enough suspicion in that room. Yeah, they didn't have enough Correct. Ripley's to be suspicious of True. the fact that this man was basically penetrated earlier today and was a-okay a few hours later and was hungry. <laughs> also, they did find an alien on the alien ship with a chest burst open. Like, that's not brought up enough. I think all spaceship crews should be minimum 60% Ripley's. 60% Ripley's everywhere. I just don't understand how they weren't concerned. And yes, the whole penetrated thing is a huge, there's like a whole article. There are multiple like movie things about, like Maggie was saying, Freudian. The symbolism. Of how a man can be raped. And that was like very revolutionary at the time. The actual face hugger, like puppet, animatronic, whatever you want to call it, loved it so much. It was great. Just sitting there. No, 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 not face hugger. I'm sorry, chest burster one. Fuck. It's in the name. The face hugger hugs faces. The chest burster bursts from chest. Yeah, that one. It's sitting in the like blood soup in uh, Kane's chest. It was great. So when they filmed that scene, the the actors had like seen the animatronic. So like that wasn't a surprise to them. They like knew what the animatronic looks like. They knew like generally what was supposed to happen, but. That was the first time they had seen it with like all of the blood and gore. Definitely the so explosion. everyone was very shocked. Yes. Like yeah, like the big explosion. So everyone was very shocked. And uh, Veronica Cartwright's reaction and scream is very real. I just, it's sort of like in the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where like the poor children actors are getting like capital T trauma from going in the psychedelic tunnel. Like well, this one, this one doesn't just... ring to me. This one doesn't ring to me as like, you know, cause we've talked about, there have been cases where it was like, Oh, so-and-so did something in a scene or like the director did something without telling the actors. And it does read as like, that feels like abuse. Like that feels wrong. This to me didn't read like it was Scott, like, taking advantage of or abusing the actors, but it was just like a, cause like everyone had seen the animatronic. They knew it was supposed to happen. It just read to me of like, a, Oh, we just weren't fully prepared for like what this was going to look like when it happened. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the difference between uh Shelly being traumatized on the shining versus. Yeah. <laughs> oh hey. yeah. Don't not the same, not yeah. the same at yeah. all. They, <laughs> not the they same. At all. It yeah. Burst from the chest. Like that's the whole thing. They just weren't, yeah, they just knew like this was the sh- this was the shot. Don't fuck up the shot. Things are gonna yeah, happen. Because that would, t- and it would probably take so long to reset because you'd have to clean all the blood and core off of everything. So like that's probably something that like you probably have one maybe two shots at getting that. It's a great scene though. I mean, I think the tension and you don't really know what's gonna happen and the c- quiet of. I don't know, right after he comes out and that pause of everybody, there's no music, there's no sound. It's just, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, everybody's just in that pause. And I think that was so necessary to capture. It feels very real. 
And I think it's a good tone change. Like, da-da-da-da-da, kind of tense. But, like, the second they do that reset of sound, then everything shifts. It's the perfect, like, you know, pattern around the tension release, tension release. And so we had this, like, oh, is Kane going to wake up? Oh, all released. He's good. He's doing totally fine. And then now we've, like, ratcheted it up to... 75 80 do you think we're not at 100 just yet but it's getting there it was i mean it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever i think it's it's like it's iconic well and i think what i love too is it's very spooky and then all of a sudden the chestburster alien runs away and i don't know why but the way he like skadoodles gets me every time like i'm like oh my gosh that was horrifying then i'm like ha look at him go it's just a little he's just a guy it's goofy he's so goofy guy running. yeah <laughs> he's a guy who then grows into a terrifying monster so fast i was going to so say fast. that molting again the life cycle of the alien we need pictures and explanations and timelines. All I know is that this thing took the fuck over the planet because there's no way that something with that quick of a life cycle that also is that deadly and that much of a killer doesn't just completely overrun a planet immediately. Well, the key would be that it would have, I imagine that it would have to somehow get off of its native world, right? Because if with that amount of life cycle and level of destruction, it would wipe through other species so quickly until it's just fighting itself. So it would have had to have found its way off world, which I mean, obviously it did, but like, I think that's like such an interesting part of it. Like it's, I mean, it has to kill its host in order to reproduce. So if it kills all of its hosts, then yeah, it's like, um, how, the common cold is actually the most successful virus in like all of at least human history, maybe farther because like it doesn't kill the host, like more successful viruses are things that like spread from host to host, but without killing it. So it's not like limiting its resources and potential like habitats, whereas like much more deadly viruses are Technically, actually, if you think of like long term sustainability are actually not as successful viruses. Yeah, it's a real bummer that Ash hadn't met the common cold because I think he would have ranked <laughs> that higher than the alien being a perfect. Yeah, species. Then the alien is the perfect life, <laughs> perfect life form. Yes, I yeah, I have questions about Ash's programming. Ash likes to speak with a lot of authority on things that I'm like, I think you're just wrong, my dude. Listen, they turned up the white male on him real high. <laughs> How else do you convince people that you're like serious without just having blind ambition and optimism and uh, faith in what you're saying? Oh, I like the simplicity of their plan after I like how it shifts from like a, you know, everyone's kind of neutral. And now it's like, okay, they killed one of us. We got to kill this thing. We got rid of it. We catch it. We trap it. We eject it. Done. Like the simplicity of it. I really appreciate. Well, I'm kind of like, why do you even bother capturing it? But, you know, Ash wants to not kill it. One, the like searching for the alien, the reveal of the cat and the tension that chasing the cat builds. Amazing. But also, can I just say, why did you split up? Why did you send poor, poor? It was Brett, I think, right? Of course, his fucking name is Brett. 
Brett, I think, to his death over a cat, which, okay, in all fairness, I'm so glad the cat also made it out. So, like, don't get me wrong. I'm, yeah. Um, My most caps note in all of my notes is don't go alone. Number one, one rule of horror movies. You were in teams of three for a reason. Have you ever wondered if you would know you were in a horror movie, though? I think if I am on a spaceship and a alien life form has burst from one of my crewmen's chests, I think I know. <laughs> I think I'm very aware of the genre I'm in in that moment. Are we in a horror movie? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm not so sure, but that's, I... I think I think it would be safe to assume at that point. Yeah, maybe. I know what genre I'm in. Or are you saying what I know I'm in a movie or not? Versus just I'm in a horror genre situation? Oh, no, no, like a horror movie. I will circle back to the life cycle of the xenomorph because there are multiple wikis detailing the specifics of its life cycle. Just so everyone's aware. I, I sat here and go, yeah, I could Google search this probably. And I could. Um, so it does go. First, the egg, the chest burster, or not the chest burster, the face hugger, which only explicit life is to lay eggs. And then it dies. That's all it does. Um, it will die regardless after it lays its eggs. And then, you know, the, the baby xenomorph turns into big xenomorph. So that's what they do. They hijack their target's breathing by covering their entire face, providing them with continual airflow whilst in what is scientifically known as a hug takes place. <laughs> scientifically a hug. Well, once a hostess found, they take hold of their target by using their long finger-like appendages to wrap around the head whilst holding the throat of their would-be host in a vice-like grip with their tentacular tail. Tentacular is a $30 word, and I love it. <laughs> tentacular. That's what we're calling the facehugger now is the tentacular tail animal. But yes, they uh, they drop off dead a few hours later, and their role in the xenomorph life cycle is now complete. So, uh, however... Well, that one facehugger does show. Yeah. And it is true they should have been scared, because when it latches on, it can tighten its grip to strangle its host when it feels threatened. I think they do that. I think they talk, they like mention that because they do try and remove it and they're like, it's choking him. Yep. Uh, the gestation period uh, maturation is reached in some cases within a few hours while others can take days. I mean, life across the universe is quite varied. So I, I understand. It the reason is unspecific because the actual time can vary on a number of factors, such as the strain of xenomorph. And the relative health of the host. I'm not joking. This wiki is very specific. Detailed. I appreciate that somebody went through that effort. But with that life cycle, we get the, the that foreboding scene with the cat. He picks up at least one exoskeleton that has been morphed off of the uh, alien. So gross. We also get the shot in the part of the ship where it seems to be raining. With the like chains that are just like blowing in the wind it took me a second because i was so caught up in and this is probably like what they were thinking because it's a very cool shot it's very atmospheric it's like perfect for the scene they're setting up it did like take me like a full probably 30 seconds of sitting with that shot and then being like 
hang on, is it raining? I so confused. And he was just like basking in this maybe water. Drinking it. Drinking it. Why? Why? My my theory is that it's probably some like condensation chamber or something that like helps with like water recycling or something on the ship. But I don't know. It was a very cool shot and I understand artistically why it's in there, but scientifically I'm a little hazy. I'm gonna need to see a layout out of the ship, which I'm sure exists on the same Wikipedia <laughs> explaining exactly why <laughs> there is a room with Janes and water in it, but I love this. But uh, so it not only is the atmosphere great, but the setting up of the cat as being kind of a, a good judge of character when it comes to scary monsters. <laughs> it was great. I mean, his death was not great because now we have two people dead to the alien and its various life forms. But this does mean our percentage of the crew that is Ripley's is climbing. It is. We're rapidly approaching the required 60% threshold. Cats don't count, by the way. They are not full crew members. Odd that you would say that considering you have three cats now. Yeah. Are they, they're not considered full crew members, though. I'll get into this more when we get there, but Ripley takes a lot of risks for that cat that I would not take for my cats if I were also on a ship about to self-destruct. You hear that, Morris and Cleo, and I forgot the other cat's name. You hear that? (laughs) Man, maybe that's why Morris is such an asshole. He knows you don't love him. Yeah, he's learned that you hate him. See, here's the thing. Morris would have attacked and figured out a way to kill that facehugger. Morris would have pushed you into the facehugger's path and then run. If people can't tell, Ian's cat Morris and I have a strained relationship. It's a one-sided strain. Morris loves Maggie. No, but he only loves me after he scratched the shit out of me that one time. He loved you before. Don't gaslight me on behalf of your cat. So the vent chasing scene, I think, is masterful. This is the scene that I remembered the most from having watched this movie the first time. But like the way they set up this beeping and the the really hard to read readout of like where the monster is versus where they are in this vent and the kind of foreboding closing of the apertures in the, the ventilation shafts like this is all just amping up the scary. I want to backtrack really quickly to a scene right before they get into the vents, which is Dallas asking mother what his odds are. Oh, God, that I like that got me. And it's like does not compute. I'm like, oh, this is I didn't like mother before, but now it's even more. Well, as mother to me seems like very generally just kind of like ship's computer impartial. I do think it's creepy that they call her mother, but like just the this supercomputer that like kept you alive and like runs the ship can't compute your odds of survival like. Ooh, that got me. So I'm already like very tense as we lead into the actual like vent scene, which, as you said, they've set up this like kind of unstable tracking device. And then as he starts telling them to close the vents behind him, it's we are already in a kind of claustrophobic setting and now we're even more claustrophobic. I just wanted Lambert to shut the fuck up during that whole scene. The part where she's like, it's moving right towards you. It's moving right towards you. I was like, from what direction, Lambert? Like, 
I don't know why we let her, who is clearly spiraling the most in all of this, be the one to give the direction, but... The note I got during this was, when I was watching it with my friends, was that this is what it's like to play Fortnite with all of us sometimes, when we're like, it's coming right at me, someone's shooting, and then doesn't say where, just chaos and screaming, and that's all she had to provide was chaos and screaming. And she's the navigator, so like, your girl should know how to give direction and angles and all of that. Yeah, I think she's not someone who handles stress well, clearly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, when the, the beef tracking the alien stops, and then when it speeds up, and then there's no more beep, and we lose. Ooh. But again, we have another off-screen death. I also had a note that was like, I don't think we should be using a flamethrower inside a spaceship, but, you know, whatevs. It's all means necessary. I mean, at this point, they're getting desperate. Yeah. Well, and so desperate now that Ripley is like, okay, now I'm going to talk to Mother. Well, there's one bit where they're like, well, why don't we get in the shuttle? And Ripley has a line that's like, the shuttle only takes four. There's currently five of them. My note is, did we not learn anything from the Titanic? There should be enough lifeboats. I think the company's cut in corners. They have stasis pods. The the the. The escape ship is there to shuttle them to a different ship, not to get them all the way back to Earth, obviously. That that logic sounds so familiar. <laughs> it's 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 almost yeah, very, very, very familiar. It it would have been too cluttered on the Nostromo to have more than one. <laughs> at that point, wasn't there only four people alive? No, there were five at that point. One of them is an android, but no one knows that yet. <sighs> They didn't know. But I do, speaking of Ash, I do want to, one, point out that way earlier in this film, someone made a comment about how Ash was a replacement science officer, like, within the last, like, for this mission, just for this mission. There's, like, a conversation between Ripley and Dallas where she, because Ripley's been kind of suspicious of him for a while, and she's like, how well do you know him? And Dallas is like... He's new. Basically, the guy I have flown with for years before that got replaced by Ash two days before we took off. Not sketchy at all. But her scene with Mother is like on the heels of Dallas getting the zero survival odds answer or the it it was zero. It wasn't zero, but it was zero. Her having to do this like emergency override sequence to get to the science officer and the like weirdness with it's only for the science officer's eyes and the commanding officer can't see it. Like all of the stuff adding up to the reveal that Ash is an android and can throw Ripley around a room. The note that it gets me with like the the codes and her conversation with mother is the crew are expendable. And then that's when, like, everything clicks into place. Yeah, and then Ash just creepily being there. I am a little disappointed in the Ash-Ripley fight, and I do think there's a continuity error where her nose is already bleeding at one point. Oh, I didn't notice that. I was too, again, to use the phrase, gooped and gagged at the reveal. (laughs) Listen, we were all gooped and gagged. Ash was especially gooped with all of his white hydraulic fluid. I don't know. We don't ask what the white goop is, okay? We just, we let the goop be goop, and we hope we don't gag. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is staying in the episode. Edit notes. I expect that to be such a perfect line. But However, I'm not unhappy with that. Uh, I love when a joke comes back That around. was too much. <laughs> we have the goopy goop and we hope we don't gag. Uh, there's but good a lot news of, is. Oh, go ahead. There's a lot of uh, things about the creature effects, and I think his was very interesting because he was made his head his head was made of latex, but it shrank while curing, and so the result was not really convincing on the animatronic piece. Like once he is revealed. So they just old school cut like a hole in a table and like the actor is under it for his head. Like they just old school did it because the yeah. animatronic they didn't just work put they wanted. Milk, caviar, pasta, fiber optics, and foley urinary catheters to form his innards, which I asked for catheters. They just didn't really put them where I thought they would. <laughs> Ash had them all. He had all the catheters. But that scene with him on the table decapitated and the way the camera just slowly zooms in on his cold explanations of what's going on. This was mind blowing. Like. And just the like, there's that bit at the end where he's like, you have my sympathy or something like that. And I just love like, it just comes off so cold. And disingenuous. And it's a great performance from home. And uh, Weaver's reaction to it is great as well. Oh, I loved it. And then I love how everyone's like immediately. Well, you know, the good news is, though, now we have enough room in the escape pods for everybody. Um, But also, I love that now uh, Ripley's like, well, fuck it. We're blowing the ship up. Like, we're just blowing it up. It's her calm collectedness is so appreciated. Like it's, there's a rationality to it. Is it excessive and extra? And do I love that about it? Yes. Well, we are also dealing with an excessive and extra alien life form. I mean, very true. So. So they have a weirdly specific seven minutes that they have to go and collect everything and then meet back up. I do have to say the frantic energy that Parker and Lambert are bringing as they're like getting all the coolant and stuff. I was like, that feels real. It's such a good foil to Ripley, though, like where she's just calmly turning on the escape pod while they're like trying to get what oxygen canisters, something like that. Why wouldn't that already be on the ship? No, they're like, I think they're getting like more coolant or something. Yeah, something about it needing more thing with coolant. (laughs) But the whole point of an escape pod is that it's ready for escape. Like you, you shouldn't have to like prep an escape pod. You also shouldn't bring back a perfect alien killer, but... You also... You know, great point. There's a lot of uh, corners cut. And it could only take four people, so like... Well, see, I think that's because the ship knew that one of them was a robot, and it was like, well, theoretically, if one person dies, then... Well, there were seven people total. One's an android, so the ship's like, well, probably at least two will die before they decide. Zero percent chance of survival. (laughs) Mother is savage. (laughs) I love Mother. I also love... I know that you guys hate that they call her Mother. I love it because there's like a lot of games in which you have that otherworldly sort of omniscient 
uh, computer that knows everything, and it's always mother. Like, I think it's like a fun sort of trope. That I want, they, I want one where they just call it mom because being like mother, give me like this information or open this file is louder than like, hey mom, can you like give me the file? They should have called it daddy. <laughs> daddy, tell me. Daddy, what's our chances of survival, Daddy? <laughs> so I, it w- I think Futurama played into that a little bit with Mom. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that whole scene of them trying to get coolant and then getting stalked and then getting killed was so intense. The sound and the lighting. I was like, Parker, leave Lambert. She's gone. She's gone. She's like, she. there's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. She fucking froze. You better flight. I did have that as a note. That was, why Why are we freezing? Like, once again. It's a, re- it's a response. Like, it's a. I know, but that's not who I would want to put on my ship. Like, as the navigator, once again, I know you said it's a big ship and they don't have to do a whole lot, but I feel like her two responses shouldn't be frantically screaming on the comm system and completely freezing under pressure. Like, those seem like the two worst character traits. Response to giant extraterrestrial alien invading your ship does seem like a hard thing to screen for in the interview process. I think that they, not they, but the world already knew that aliens existed because they seemed wholly unfazed by finding all of those eggs and those aliens. So this is obviously an option. What can I say? Lambert cracked. The the corporation has received your complaint and will give it the attention it deserves. Um. By the way, uh, can you bring back that weird alien egg you found to the HR office when we take that complaint? <laughs> Can we turn it into an, an employee that we don't have to pay? I have noted your complaint. It will be going nowhere because <laughs> your crew is expendable. Ooh. <laughs> oh, you no. are uh, not important oh. to the success of this mission. Therefore, I don't fucking care. That's not mother. That's older sister. <laughs> <laughs> the mainframe is older sister. Mother is, is just sister. the ship. <laughs> the, the part of the ship that's like actually holding everything together. <laughs> The oldest sister. oldest sister. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this whole, like, once Ripley discovers everyone dead and the scene of activating and getting to the ship, like the self-destruct and actually getting to the ship is spectacular suspense. The part where she is so carefully reading over the self-destruct instructions, like multiple times, like she's got her finger and she's tracing them. I'm like, that is me about to send an important email. <laughs> like, is that a typo that I see in the instructions for the self-destruct? No. <laughs> oh my God. Well, no, no, no. You wouldn't find it until after you sent the important email. That's when you find the typo. Um, but no, just like her being like, okay, like you can tell she's frantic, but being like, okay, I need to very clearly understand these instructions and like do this right was just like a beautiful like moment and so relatable. Well, and it's a complicated process. So like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> again, we have more coolant. They have to like remove the coolant so that the ship will overheat and self-destruct. She hits the button. They have a certain amount of time where it's like counting down. But, and there's and there's like a window within that countdown where she can stop it. Right. I, I That's a nice touch. I like that a lot. And it, it gives her reason to come back. On the way to the escape pod, she encounters the alien at some point. And then when she does get on, she encounters. I I refuse to assume that that is the same alien. I know that it's like 
most likely, but there's just no way. That's too fast. It's already snoozing. It's snoozing. (laughs) But the strobe lights and the fog and the sound design and the stupid fucking cat, which I appreciate that she saves, but is just this like tension heightening crated beast. (laughs) Runs into the alien on the way to the skate pod, goes back to try and turn off the self-destruct and misses it by like seconds. And I love the moment where she's like, I put the coolant back. Like, why are you still self-destructing? Ugh. And uh, I do, I will say, so th- they built all the tension that way. And then when she actually launches the escape pod, the like, it, it wasn't 30 seconds. It was maybe a few, but it felt like 30 seconds that she was just flying under the yeah. ship as we still get the countdown from mother. Well, and they set that up at the very beginning when we see them having to go through all the steps to release the pod to like go check the alien ship and the distress signal early on. Like it's a whole process that takes time. So like you, you know, as she only has 30 seconds left that like, it's not really 30 seconds because she has this whole process that has to happen. She's and then safe, we get a moment of not. calm. I love how she just like gets the cat. She's like, oh, hi there, little kitty. Love you. Put you in the, in the stasis pod. I'd be like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Wear some very uncomfortable underwear, you know? Yeah. I know we start with the underwear. We're going to end with the underwear. I, I am a little bit confused with this end thing. And this is, it didn't detract from the film as a whole, but you have this superhuman, rabid killing machine that all of a sudden is just napping. Exactly. So that, that part was like a little, like, I don't know if it didn't censor or like, or maybe it was just trying to hide. So she would like take it back with her. Like, I don't know what was going on. He's anyway. sleepy. He's so sleepy. He did so much murder. Come on. And I'm sorry. I keep saying he. That is. We don't know the gender of the alien. I think in the second one, there's like a whole thing about the queen. So like, I don't know. I think it is a woman, though. Or a woman. I think it is a it's female, female yeah. assigned organism because. It lays eggs. I mean, it has to be. You know what I think it is? Does it? Oh, damn it. You got me. You got me here. Is the face hugger the male? Because it implants the eggies? I think gender is a human construct that does not apply to the xenomorph. (laughs) Well, the, the question is, is it asexual or sexual reproduction? I'm 100% going to look at. So there's the drones, there's the praetorians, there's the crushers, there's the queens, there's the deacon sharks, and there's the preda alien. So it seems most like bees. Mm, Yeah, just one queen is enough to form a hive. Those are strains of aliens, though. It doesn't really quite explain the sex of the alien. Let's see. Late stage mutation, larva maturation. So long story short, it's complicated and the beast is tired. (laughs) (gasps) Drones can turn themselves into queens. They don't all stay drones, though. They may mutate or evolve to fill other roles within the hive. So theoretically, it could be anything and all of it all at one time. I feel like because this one is creating a hive, maybe we should think of it as like 
the queen or it's like, you know, like a future queen. It's going for the crown. It's going for the title. Like, Bear with me. We have the final face-off of two feminist icons. One calm, amazing space captain who knows what the fuck she's doing. And one aspiring world destroyer. Like... <laughs> And then you have Jones, the hot one. <laughs> the one that's like, what? What do you mean I was in the way? I'm sorry, guys. I, I was slept all the way through all the drama. Can you tell me what's going on? I don't like her, and I don't know why. She gives me bad vibes. <laughs> I just don't like her aesthetic. She does not seem cuddly or cozy. You know, they should make a uh, parody of the movie Alien. And if... My puppet people don't make Jonesy a sassy little bitch. I'll be pissed. Do you say puppet or Muppet? Both. (laughs) Kermit is Ripley. Or is Kermit Dallas? Kermit's not Ripley. Gonzo. Gonzo's Ripley, I feel like, right? Because he's always kind of main character energy. Kermit. Oh, it's that or Kermit. But I feel like Kermit often gets like authority. He's the captain. That or Sam Eagle's the captain. Oh. There are a couple ways you could go with this. So then... Miss Piggy's okay. Lambert. 100%. Lambert, easy. That's an easy assign. Uh, Beaker is Jonesy, right? <laughs> no, they've got to have beep, a cat beep, cover. Beep, beep, beep. Beaker, Beaker's like either Brett or Parker. It's Beaker and the Professor or Brett and Parker. Ash is Beaker's scientist guy, right? Yeah. Or no, wait, I, Ash feel like needs to be something a little bit more. Maybe Rizzo. Maybe Rizzo. Oh, okay. I, I feel like, like Ash would be live action. <laughs> or Ash is the like, only live action. We do like one live action in a Muppet. True. So he's... Uh, or human. It's all live action, but human. <laughs> so the final scene, though, the calm that Ripley has is so admirable. I aspire to be that calm in a crisis. Here's the thing, and this is why I like Ripley so much in like Sigourney Weaver's um, performance. It's because like Ripley is clearly terrified. Like never for a moment are you like Ripley's not scared, but it is the like keeping her head under pressure, the like frantically putting on that spacesuit before so that she can like, you know, funnel it out the airlock. Um all fantastic. I also want to talk about how I think the scariest part of the alien puppet is the two mouths. I think the two mouths is really scary. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's the tiny mouth with the tiny teeth and then the big mouth with the big teeth. Yeah. I, you know what I hate is that Ian was fine with Ripley being calm, but not okay with the xenomorph being calm. Xenomorph was just taking big nap and Ripley was about to take big nap and I don't understand why we are okay with one of them and not the other. The xenomorph was always calm. That's the scariest part. You don't know that. You didn't have expressive face. It could have been freaking the fuck out the whole time. Like, I don't know where I am. I don't like it here. And I'm going to kill because I I'm have scared. all this pressure of building a new hive. I just started my road to global dominance and I am stressed. And some and already there's a man critiquing me. <laughs> yes. He said, I'm the perfect species. You know, how, how can I live up to that bar? Up? To my expectations of the world? It's an impossible part. This anthropomorphizing of alien is 
amazing. You know what? I feel bad for the alien now. Alien got ripped from its homeland. And and someone's chest. Yes. He the alien wanted to live a little bit longer in its safe space, but these fuckers kept just poking and prodding and supplying shoving food. meatballs down the throat. Ugh. Had to had to escape quickly and get to safety. And then it had to sit there and wait. And these people kept trying to find it. And all it wanted to do was sleep the whole time. Justice for Xenomorph. <laughs> Hashtag. Well, sorry. No rest for the weary because someone gets blown out the airlock. Finally. But then tries to like go back in the ship and then gets burned to a crisp with the exhaust. Like, I think that they didn't have enough budget to refilm that scene. And so they tried to assign a story to it because that was a weird puppet thing where it floated because I could see how they were like oh yeah try to get back in but no it didn't like it was floating and then kind of caught on something I think it's still yeah. like a little open-ended of it like oh she killed it like well she got rid of it but like did she really kill it because like it seems like super almost human, unkillable well literally. it's not human so super super xeno I don't know Super, just super, super xenomorph. Super <laughs> is that is that a TV show? Super xenomorphs. <laughs> Probably. I mean, its blood is made of acid, so it'd be unrealistic to think that it needed to breathe air. Like, I mean, sure. But yeah, and then the last bit of the movie is the voiceover sign off of Fridley being like last survivor of the Nostromo signing off, being like, hopefully someone will pick me up. So. Also, part of the reason that I think the studios were like, yeah, Ripley can't die at the end was like, if this does well, then you've killed sequel potential. <laughs> yeah. So Also, Sigourney Weaver was so good She's in great. it. I'm still mad that she never won an Academy Award for any of her alien work. The entire cast, I think, of this movie like really does hit it out of the park. They really do. I do love that it feels somewhat low but high budget. Like, it's gritty. I think that's the right word I'm looking for. It's very gritty of a movie. And we never got into costuming uh, related to the human characters and why they put them in a lot of corsets. (laughs) Everything laces up, but I wonder if that's, like, actually accurate to, like, astronaut i'm pretty sure some of the like apollo space suits have inner layers that lace if like i could be completely making that up but i think they i think it is informed at least marginally because that is not something that i've seen in other sci-fi stuff it is ian's just sending me a photo of a glove well but what what i'm saying is they would use laces to size the garment and it wouldn't be used to put it on or off. It was just there to make sure that it fit right. Oh, that makes sense. Um, last question I think I wanted to ask before we sign off. So Alien itself or the face hugger? What do you guys think is the more iconic like creature from the face this hugger movie? I mean, the xenomorph. It's I have a model of the xenomorph on my shelf. <laughs> Granted, I had to choose between also getting a large face hugger statue for my office, and I opted to not. (laughs) So I think for me, it's the Xenomorph, because that's the one I chose. I had both in my cart, and I said, you know, 
xenomorph. And see, I have seen like literal parodies of the facehugger more often for like absurd sort of things. Like I remember there was a very, it stuck in my brain, a Rick and Morty episode where there was like a facehugger colonizing like utopian creature. Like it was funny. I think the the facehugger is just funnier. Like, I know that sounds bizarre in the context of this movie. Yeah, No, I'm I'm torn. Like, I'm very 50 50 on it, which is why I was going to ask you guys. Like, I like I genuinely don't know. Like, they're both so iconic. So I don't know which one I would say is more so. I think my main takeaway from this discussion today over this movie is that justice for Xenomorph. I think at the end of the day, that's what I've landed on. Feminist icon. Feminist icon. You know what? gay icon too for me I don't know why it just feels like I'd love to see like the xenomorph do a death drop and it can lay its own eggs it doesn't need a hundred a hundred percent a drag queen has dressed as the xenomorph and done a death drop it's already 100%. called a queen I mean come on it's right there a gay hundred the xenomorph <laughs> I'm just saying that the xenomorph does live in the same part of my brain as the Babadook does. So I was going to say, it's in the same realm as the Babadook suddenly turning into a gay icon for no reason other than just, this is fucking funny. Let's do it. It's, yes. Well, he, he was in the closet. You know what? Poor guy. So was the xenomorph. And you know what? Ripley didn't Is that let... the name of the planet? The closet? The xenomorph was trying to sleep there, though. The, the xenomorph just wanted to sleep in that little cozy closet cubby thing, and she wouldn't let him. Is Ripley not a gay icon? Yeah, definitely. Arguably is. Great movie. I am. Fantastic. It, very atmospheric and very good for Halloween, even though it came out in the summer. Yeah. Holds up very, very well. Uh, also, like, not just, like, a good scary movie, just a good movie, I think. Uh, definitely. Also, if you're, like, not, like, huge, like, I don't like gore, I don't like scary movies that much, I feel like this one's a pretty, like, in the scheme of things, tame one. Um, I like oh, yeah. it, and I'm a scaredy cat. So that should tell it's you something. It's a wonderful movie, and I was so excited to learn that it's, you know, 20th Century Fox, so... I always love when I get to learn more things about the company. The company. <laughs> the company. You, you know the one you're shuttling that weird alien egg for? <laughs> I am Ash. I am the robot. I will say at this. <laughs> I fucking knew it. It's a perfect movie. Mm. I it's mean, great. Okay, it's I would not say a good. perfect movie, but. It's close, though. I mean, it covered a perfect subject, so. You can't put that pressure on her, Ian. <laughs> I didn't. Ash did. Don't come at me for Ash's sins. She just wants to be a perfect specimen. And that's so hard nowadays. Relatable. So relatable. Everyone's trying to set you on fire. They're trying to burn this witch. And that's not fair. Sometimes the witches, you know, become icons. Just a little sleepy. A little sleepy. It's okay to be sleepy. Speaking of which, I think it's time we sign off on this episode. This was so much fun. Uh, thank you, Lola, for joining us again on this one. Thank you for having me. Anytime. It remains to be seen whether we'll do a canon episode or just roll straight into whatever the hell we want for Christmas. But stay tuned for that. 
But in the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and not Twitter. Uh, we're at Best Pictures Pod on both. Uh, if you have anything long form you want to send us, uh, bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, rate, subscribe, review. That is how new people find us. And thanks for sticking with us.